you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. The roller coaster ride with my brain. Hi, folks. Chris Voss here from the ChrisVossShow.com. The Chris Voss Show.com. Uh, who wrote that intro? I'm, 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 somebody, somebody check on that. Anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate it, guys. Thanks for always being here and sharing the show with your friends and relatives. We've been seeing like a 33% increase this month as we hit our, uh, of, of downloads and audience, uh, as we hit our 13th year. So what, like everyone decided to start tuning in once we hit 13? Uh, I think it's officially 13 on the end of this month. So um, thank you for that. Thanks for, for sharing the show with your friends, neighbors, relatives. As always, uh, go see all of our channels across social media. Today we're going to have another Wall Street Journal uh, journalist on the show. We've had a number of them, I think six, seven, or eight now. I think uh, we just keep racking up those numbers. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about uh, the Moderna vaccine and uh, some of the different things with his new hottest book that just barely came out uh meantime youtube.com goodreads.com for just chris foss uh, uh the big linkedin group of course and the linkedin newsletter of course you want to subscribe to that and chris foss leadership uh institute.com for speaking and uh whatever the hell else you want if you want to talk to me that's usually the best way to do it that or you know just i don't know uh, send me pictures on Snapchat. I don't know. Don't do that. Anyway, guys, thanks for doing it. We really appreciate it. He's the author of the amazing new book that just came out July 26, 2022. Peter Loftus is in the show with us today. The Messenger, Moderna, the vaccine, and the business gamble that changed the world. Uh, he's going to be talking to us about his book. Uh, he writes about the pharmaceutical industry and healthcare for the Wall Street Journal, based in Philadelphia. He covers large drug makers, biotech firms, and the latest developments in drug research and innovation. He's followed Moderna and the wider chase for a COVID-19 vaccine from the start. He is part of the journal's reporting team that was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Welcome to the show, Peter. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? You're doing well. Awesome, man. Well, congratulations yeah. on the new book. Thank and uh, tell us uh, at .coms where people can go on the interwebs to find and learn more about you. Sure. Well, my Twitter handle is at Loftus, L-O-F-T-U-S. Um, you could also check out my author page at PeteLoftus.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. And there's also a Wall Street Journal um, website author page as well. There you go. There you go. So what motivated you to write this book? Is this your first book too? It is my first book, yeah. Awesome. So what motivated you want to write this? Well, so I was involved with, um, from as you mentioned, from the beginning of the pandemic, writing about the, um, the pharma industry's response to the pandemic, mainly the development of the COVID vaccines. And, you know, it, it quickly became apparent that this was going to be you know, an intense effort to um, to design and develop and test the vaccine uh, as quickly as possible so that it could have an effect, um, you know, on the pandemic. And I thought that Moderna 
was a was a particularly interesting player um, in this effort because, you know, before 2020, most people had never heard of this company. And it was a it was a small biotech company. It had only been around for about ten years, and it had um, its its purpose was to sort of develop this new way of making drugs and vaccines using a, a gene based technology. But before twenty twenty, you know, it had been it had been at it for about ten years, but still hadn't delivered a successful drug or vaccine, and so. Then when the, when the pandemic hit, the, the company stepped into the spotlight and really um, tried to, to put this technology to tests and um, to see if it would finally work and, and perhaps work in the most spectacular fashion by, you know, coming up with a, with an, with a vaccine for a historic pandemic. So I, I just thought it would be interesting to sort of tell the story of the pandemic, but also some other trends in biotech which I can elaborate on, but I, to tell that through the eyes of Moderna. There you go. Uh, so what was unique about this company? Well, what was unique about them was that, um, you know, they they actually had been generating a fair amount of hype um, within biotech circles and venture capital circles. Again, I realized that most people never heard of the company before 2020. But within, you know, a certain circle with biotech and, and pharma, they generally generated a lot of buzz because, you know, A, they were promising this this new way of making drugs and vaccines based on messenger RNA, um, something that hadn't been done before. Um, and then B, they actually had had a fair amount of success raising money from investors, from, from the government, um, from big pharma partners. And so, you know, in the years leading up to, to the pandemic, um, they they kind of had this buzz around them, and um, and it was you know it, it kind of stirred some debate too. There were there were people who who were true believers in what they were doing, and thought yes, this could be transformative. But there were also people who thought, you know, that this there might not be much to it. That that it could be just a lot of hype, and it might not pan out in the end. And so I think. Because there was that sort of uncertainty going into the pandemic, I just was sort of drawn to this idea that this company that had been promising certain things for for years and years was going to have this chance to finally validate itself uh, in a historic pandemic. And were they the ones who developed the the I think it's called the mRNA uh, sort of uh, concept or, or well, they I mean solution? they. So, so messenger RNA as a as a research field has sort of been around for for decades. Um, mm-hmm. it, it had it had been advanced in increments by various people before Moderna even existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were a lot of academic researchers who were aware of messenger RNA, um, and just messenger RNA for people who don't know is is a naturally occurring substance, genetic material that's in humans and, and many living organisms. And it, it basically serves as, um, it serves as the vehicle for the genetic information that's stored in DNA to get that out into cells and to make proteins which have specific functions. And so what a lot of academic researchers were finding over the decades was that 
was, is there a way to, um, to harness that, to, to make synthetic versions of mRNA um, and, and, and program it to make certain proteins that could have disease-fighting properties? And so that's what was going on in, in you know, the two or three decades before Moderna's creation. What Moderna did was, was sort of make that jump from, from academic research where you're doing, you're doing experiments in cell lines and Petri dishes and bring it into the commercial realm, into the private, private for-profit um, enterprise, and see if you can if you can translate all that academic research into an actual drug or vaccine that you could put into people. So they they were, you know, they were certainly a, a pioneer in advancing messenger RNA. The the academic research had sort of preceded it. Awesome. And so is that is that the, the you know. Uh, it seems kind of obvious, but I, I, it's good for information. Is that the title of your book, where it comes from, The Messenger? It is, yes. Yeah, it's a play on messenger RNA. There you go. I, I'm getting a plug in there for you for the title of your Thank book, you. basically. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah, I worked that in. So it's kind of su subconscious, but now I just blew it and everyone knows. <laughs> Hi, folks. Here's Foss here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching speaking and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements. If you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff, uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a CEO. Uh, I think I can offer a wonderful breadth of information information and knowledge to you or anyone that you want to invite me to for your company. Thanks for tuning in. We certainly appreciate you listening to the show and be sure to check out Chris Voss leadership Institute.com. Now back to the show. Uh, <laughs> uh, so this company, one thing my mom was reading your book is we both have the Moderna virus in us or virus, <laughs> the Moderna virus with the Moderna antivirus on in us. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, the 5G on it is excellent. My calls improves considerably. <laughs> That's a joke. People don't, don't, don't go anywhere with that. Um, but uh, uh, she was reading the book and she's like, holy crap. I wish I'd in, invested in the Moderna stock before, before it went, before it went, uh, you know, through the roof. Tell us a little bit about what was going on with the company and the stock and the and the the management there before uh, they they hit it big, I guess. Yeah. So so the company went public and had its IPO, its initial public offering, at the end of 2018. But in the years leading up to that, they were raising money from private investors, so venture capital firms, that sort of thing. Um, and then once the company did go public, and I have a chapter that focuses on this because it, it, I think it is an important part of the story and it sort of speaks to the way these things happen and the way a company is positioned to do what Moderna did in 2020. But, but in any case, so they, they, they had their IPO at the end of 2018 and that involved just the top executives traveling around the world and just trying to convince fund managers, other investors to just buy a little piece of the company. And um, the IPO price was about uh, $24, I believe. And um, and almost immediately from, from the day that the, 
the, the, the day that stock, the stock started trading on NASDAQ after the IPO was priced, it started to drop. And this wow. was a big source of disappointment for uh, some of the leaders of the company. And the stock price then, it kind of fluctuated a little bit, but for the, for the next year or so, it did sort of stay uh, stuck in this range, you know, from like the teens to the mid-20s. And it kind of reflected, um, you know, people saying, all right, we think there might be some potential here, but but we know that, you know, the most advanced vaccine that you have in your pipeline, this is all pre-pandemic, um, is still a few years away from making it to market, if it ever does. And so I think there are a lot of people waiting on the sidelines and just sort of, you know, realizing that this this technology, this messenger RNA, had never been used before in any approved drug or vaccine. And there, yes, there's this company that's made a lot of investments and advanced the research in that, but we just don't know if it's going to work. And so, yeah, so for a good year, really the whole year plus leading up to January 2020, um, the stock did stay in that range. And then things became very different as 2020 um, soldiered on. What was their initial intent to what, what sort of a resolution or product were they trying to build and what for was their original intent? Well, they, they were looking at a few different uses for mRNA. Mm -hmm. um, I guess one big category was as a drug or a therapy for people who are already sick with this or that disease. And so mm. an example was um, they were looking at a way to use mRNA to treat people with heart disease where you could actually inject it right into the heart muscle um, during, you know, heart surgery and that that might help patients um, and, and, and other diseases, um, including cancer. Um, one of the issues they ran into with, with using mRNA as a, as a treatment for disease is the issue of repeat dosing. You know, if someone is sick, they might have to take a drug for a long time. Mm -hmm. And they were concerned that there were certain properties with mRNA and with the uh, some of the component that the, the 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 envelope that surrounds the mRNA that they design uh, that could maybe cause some safety issues if it's given you know every day or just repeatedly over time. And so um, another possibility was to use it for vaccines, where you're just talking about one or two doses, maybe more, as we've seen. Um, and uh, and so one of the viruses that they were studying it um, in is called cytomegalovirus. And it's a relatively common virus that doesn't really do, it doesn't really do much to most people, but um, it, can, it can cause um, birth defects in children who are born, born to mothers infected by it. Mm -hmm. And so they, and there's never been a vaccine against this virus. And so Moderna, um, at the end of 2019, kind of viewed this CMV vaccine as their lead, their quote lead product candidate. Uh -huh. But even that was still a few years away from completing the whole series of testing that would be necessary for the FDA to say, okay, you can sell this vaccine. So those are a few of the, uh, and they were they were studying mRNA vaccines against other viruses too, Zika. Um, and some other viruses as well. 
Awesome. So uh, they're making this this thing, and my understanding of the mRNA is it's a, it's basically giving your body a blueprint. Your body's always fighting stuff like early cancer, I guess, or early disease. You know, it, it has the ability to do some fighting on its own or, you know, stomp out cells, I guess. And my understanding is the mRNA is, is like a blueprint that it gives to your body and goes, here's how to fight this. Is that is that a good... Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's a good general description. And mm-hmm. it, and and one of the things that Moderna and just other people who are believers in mRNA will point out is that, um, it, you know, is by comparing and contrasting it to other drug technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the big advances of the last 30 years or so is, um, are monoclonal antibodies and bio, and those, and similar biologic drugs where you're actually, um, you're making a drug by growing a certain type of protein hmm. in, in big bioreactors and in, in factories, like bioreactors that are like three, three or four stories tall. And it's a very complex brew that yields this, this protein that's purified. And, and that, and that actually has, um, has advanced different areas of medicine. It's, it's basically amounted to better, better treatments for various diseases. Um, so Moderna sees MRNA as basically a way of, instead of having external factories and these big bioreactors make the protein, let's, let's have your own body be the manufacturer of a protein. Mm-hmm. And the way, so the way they do that is by, by using this synthetic MRNA, you know, in, in something that can be injected into you, um, there, the, the mRNA is coded. It has basically the genetic sequence for something that could then set in motion an immune response in your body that, that targets disease. And, and so in the case of COVID-19 and the coronavirus, the coronavirus, um, as some people might be aware, uh, is, is known for having these spike proteins on the surface mm-hmm. of the virus. And these spike proteins are what the virus uses to latch on to cells in humans if, if you're exposed to it and actually gain entry into the cells to help replicate. And that kind of keeps the virus going. And so because of some research, both by Moderna, but also by um, places like the National Institute of Health, they thought, well, let's let's make a vaccine that targets the spike protein. And, and specifically, it's it's delivering mRNA that, that gets into human cells and then has the genetic code to cause the human cell to make a spike protein to make mm-hmm. or to make a version of the spike protein that's found on the coronavirus mm-hmm. and by doing that then then the presence of the spike protein in your body it won't it won't actually infect you like the real coronavirus would but it would it's enough of the it's enough of the virus or you know resembles a part of the virus in a way that sets in motion an immune response. Mm-hmm. So it triggers the production of, of antibodies um, so that if you are later exposed to the coronavirus, it could, uh, you know, depending on the time since vaccination, it, it could actually, you know, prevent infection, reduce your chances of infection, or if it doesn't prevent infection, it could help to mitigate the severity of disease. Mm-hmm. And why, uh, in all your research, did you find anything that's, uh, you know, highly detrimental? I'm thinking, you know, of 
of helping people that are out there listening to the show that are like, uh, you know, they talk to the people who are like, oh, yeah, it gives you, you know, whatever the conspiracy theory is of the week. Um, did you, in any of your research, did you find there was anything that was, you know, uh, bad about it? I mean, I mean, there's risk in all these sort of things, but any sort of, any sort of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly it's not, it's not perfect. Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, I mean, I guess a couple of things that that I would highlight are, um, you know, early on when, when, when the Moderna vaccine and the Pfizer vaccine, Pfizer vaccine also being an mRNA vaccine that they developed with another company called BioNTech, when they first became available in late 2020 and they started doing the mass vaccination campaign, um, they began to see early on that some people were having these anaphylactic reactions. Um, So a severe type of allergic reaction that can put someone into anaphylactic shock to the point where like they, they might need to go to the hospital or at least get something like an EpiPen or something to combat that effect. And so that, that was seen early on in real world use. Um, And so they, they adapted to that by, um, by basically, you know, making sure that people waited at the vaccination site for a good, like 15, 20 minutes, make sure nothing would happen and have EpiPens, um, on hand. And, um, you know, and they think that, that there was some component of the vaccine that was triggering that because it had been seen with certain other vaccines too. So that's, 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 that's not a conspiracy theory. Like that's a real risk. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing that's a real risk is um, these heart inflammation conditions, mm. uh, including myocarditis. So a lot of people wow. may have heard of that. Um, and and what and so that that sort of came to the attention of health authorities like a little later in 2021, 20, um, you know, a few months after the va- mass vaccination campaign got underway, they started seeing reports of this and. And and health authorities have determined that there is an increased risk of myocarditis and pericarditis in people who get the mRNA vaccines. <laughs> um, now, they say that the risk is most pronounced in, among young males, teenagers or like early 20s. Um, <clears throat> and so that's something to keep in mind. And they say that, you know, it's for some people, it's still very much worth you know that the benefits of the vaccine outweigh the risks. Yeah, uh, and that um, you know, and that and that if you get COVID, that that COVID itself can also increase your risk of myocarditis and pericarditis. Oh wow! So so those are a couple I would say just like safety related things that have emerged that are recognized. Um, but but as far as um, you know, mRNA, you know, other things that that might make you, you know, question its inherent safety or anything. But, you know, I don't think there's anything major. You know, it is still a new technology. So, yeah, there's if, no evil intent where, you know. Right. If there is something some that. Sort of, some sort yeah, of maybe, nor, uh, you know, it's, it's Right. It's possible that other risks could emerge if it's used for a vaccine against another disease or for a yeah. medical treatment. Like the Illuminati is using it to spy on you or some kind of crap. Uh, it, it was really interesting to me. Did you, did you, one thing that I've always wondered about, um, you know, I, I had uh, kind of a mild reaction. I mean, the first day I kind of felt a little funky, 
took an, I, I was kind of had an increased heart rate, I think. And I took a nap and then I felt fine after about four hours. Um, and then it's never bothered me since I've had the, I've had this, I think the second one. Um, and I, was there a third one? I don't know if I got the third one. I think I don't qualify for the third one. I think that was an age thing, but there were some of my friends that, and this is, I think was across all the vaccines. Some people, you know, had no reaction. Some people had really bad reactions where they just were sick for a day or two. Um, and I was, one thing I was always curious about is I'm like, I wonder if you get really sick from the vaccine, if that's an indication that you might've been the one who died from coronavirus because of your reaction, uh, where it seems like my family so far has had, uh, the people who got in my family have been asymptomatic and we had very mild reactions to the vaccine. I often wonder if there's a connection between the people who got the sickest taking the vaccine and their reaction, and they might've been the people who died from coronavirus. I don't know. That's Is there a correlation there? Well, that's a good question. I I don't know if there's a like a proven correlation. This is book two, but there you <laughs> go. But I'm glad you mentioned that because I I didn't I did leave that out of my prior answer, which is that in addition to those safety risks, mm -hmm. there's also these 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 very near term reactions. Usually after the second dose, I don't think it's universal. Mm -hmm. Not everyone gets the severe reactions like headache or fatigue or fever. Um, but some people do. And, um, and, and I did look into at one point, you know, does, does the absence of those reactions, because mm -hmm. some people get the vaccine and they, they feel nothing, you know, mm -hmm. it's like they go on about their regular lives. And I've wondered, you know, I think that has made some people wonder like, well, am I even getting the benefit of the vaccine? Yeah. If there were none of these side effects that like, you know, both Moderna and I think some, Doctors and scientists have suggested that the those side effects could be a sign that your immune system is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Which you know, the the flip side of that argument is like, well, if if you don't feel those symptoms, is your immune system getting you ready to, you know, protect you from from the virus? But I think uh, the answer was just that you can't really make assumptions about what level of protection you're getting going by the level of those kinds of side effects like the fatigue and fever and, you know, yeah, it, and I think with any, um, antivirus, you know, even like the vaccines that we got when we were kids, right. There's, there's a potential of that happening, right. It's not, yeah. yeah, there's a newer, um, shingles vaccine mm -hmm. that came out within the last five years or so that has, um, that's given in two doses a few months apart. And that's been known to cause, flu-like symptoms in people or, or, you know, give them some tough reactions. Mm. So it's not, it's not unprecedented. I, I have a friend who's actually fairly young, you know, cause I guess sometimes shingles doesn't show up till your later years, but he's fairly young. I think he's in his thirties and, uh, he's gotten shingles and man, he was talking about, uh, the other day on, uh, Facebook and he's like, please go get the antivirus. You, you do not want this. And so uh, it's kind of fired a, a light under my butt. I got to go get that thing done. What were some things that uh, people are going to find that stand out in the book? Any, uh, maybe some stories you can tease or anecdotes that you can tease that, that people will find definitely interesting. Sure. Well, I, I think one is, you know, I alluded to this earlier and there is kind of a long tail of research over the years that, that really led to what happened in 2020 with both Moderna and Pfizer 
delivering these mRNA vaccines. And, um, and so, you know, but it was just a case where in the, in like the late eighties and the nineties, and even the early two thousands, there, there were different advances in, you know, basically seeing that mRNA could do that, could do something that might one day have disease fighting properties. And so, but it was just very early stage and it wasn't really getting a lot of recognition from, from, you know, the, the, the pharma industry and the medical community. Um, and so, I mean, I think one interesting story is that um, there was, there was a fairly big breakthrough uh, around 2005 that had been the culmination of several years of work by these two professors, um, scientists at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, um, Drew Weissman and Catalin Carrico. Catalin mm-hmm. um, Carrico was an immigrant from Hungary who came here because she she was interested in mRNA way back when in the 80s and 90s, but really didn't feel like she had the the resources and the and the infrastructure to advance it and wanted to come to the U.S. to do that and. Um, uh, anyway, so she kind of eventually became got paired up with with Drew Weissman, and they made some important discoveries, which was that, um, you know, one of the problems initially with if, with with using M- mRNA and trying to put it inside human cells is that that triggers a almost like a, a a cellular immune response because it views the RNA as like a foreign entity, like a virus almost. Wow! And so it kind of fights off this foreign object. And so they found a way that if you make certain modifications and it's very complex molecular biology, if you make certain modifications to the RNA, uh, to the components of RNA, that that'll sort of help it slip into human cells without being viewed as a foreigner and without being destroyed. And mm-hmm. so they, they did all this work and they actually met, um, they would just start bumping into each other at the copy machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the labs at Penn and got to talking about what, what each of them was up to. And it sort of melded into this, well, let, let's use RNA in certain ways. And by making this modification, that was recognized at, in certain circles as an important advance. They got a paper published in, in a medical journal that started to get the word out. But even there, um, that didn't immediately lead to the creation of a Moderna or even Weissman and Carrico's version of Moderna. Um, you know, it was just sort of uh, out there, but, and, and, and a company did eventually license the um, patents to that research, but it was more to use mRNA as almost as like a scientific tool and not to really directly turn it into a medicine or a drug. And so if you if you fast forward a few more years, um, there's another researcher at Harvard uh, named Derek Rossi, and mm-hmm. he was a stem cell researcher. So he's doing research in stem cells. You know, I won't go into that too much because I know we, we, we've, I've already shared a lot of science about mRNA, but he, he eventually becomes part of the story because he finds that you can actually use mRNA as a tool in stem cell research and mm-hmm. and he saw some potential there and he published a paper and started to get some recognition and then he's the one that said and he's up in in cambridge um massachusetts outside boston 
Um, and he's the one that thought, I, I think there's some different applications for mRNA that, that could be useful for a company, a new startup company to advance and see what they can do with it. And that's sort of what set in motion in, in the year 2010, the creation of Moderna. Um, and so he kind of had to work with his with uh, with Harvard's um, uh, people who are basically in charge of, of identifying the most promising research in all of the labs at Harvard, you know, a very prominent institution and seeing if there's any commercial potential and, and either like pairing up the research with a big pharma, uh, pharmaceutical company mm -hmm. or seeing if it can be the basis for a startup company. And so that led to a series of connections with other scientists, including a very prominent MIT scientist and another doctor at Harvard. And then finally, a venture capital firm flagship that saw promise in this and decided to, to really um, you know, provide the funding to get things off the ground and create Moderna. Wow. And so, so it started very small with just a couple million dollars. It started with one younger scientist in a lab, just kind of seeing if he could take all the academic research that had built up over the years and really advance it into something. And, and that's, that sort of set the ball in motion, um, you know, to, to create Moderna, to become this company that grew and advanced over the years. That's amazing, man. Uh, so, uh, you know, we talked about this before the show. It, it seemed to me very early on, just from reading news reports and all the different content I was taking in, I'm like, it sounds like the Moderna uh, antivirus is better than the um, the other two, the Pfizer and the J&J, uh, &J, I think it was, uh, Johnson & Johnson. Um, is is that true? Is it is it is it a better antivirus than the other two? or? Well, yeah, I mean, there have been some studies that several studies that seem to suggest that the Moderna vaccine could can um, maintain its efficacy at a higher level and for longer than the other vaccines. Mm -hmm. so, so at the beginning, the, the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine were very much um, neck and neck. They both they, they, they both had these initial very big studies in 2020 that showed they were about 94 percent effective in preventing symptomatic COVID-19 um, for a certain duration. Hmm. And then they started to see um, both the companies, but also just, you know, health officials in different countries, researchers that, that over time, the efficacy would start to wane, hmm. um, but, it, but it did so, it, it waned more quickly for Pfizer than for Moderna, according to several studies that were done on this. Uh, and, and the J&J vaccine kind of started at a lower point. I mean, it's, its efficacy in its big study um, was only about 66%. And yeah. I say only, I mean, relative to what Pfizer and Moderna had, 66% mm -hmm. in the context of a pandemic, I think was actually viewed as pretty good. Um, but Beats nothing, but, right? Right. But it's a sort of a lower starting point. And, and, and so you know, that, that efficacy was maintained at a certain rate for a certain period, but the J and J vaccine has really kind of fallen by the wayside and has not been used oh, really? nearly, nearly as much as the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. Yeah. But, but, but one more thought about the Moderna vaccine, if, 
if it is in fact truly more effective than Pfizer's. Um, some people explain that by it, the the original vaccine was a was a higher dose than the Pfizer vaccine. So each yeah. each actual vial, each actual vaccine that's injected in you, you're, you're getting a higher dose of mRNA with the Moderna one than the Pfizer one. Oh, really? That, that could account for uh, sort of a longer efficacy tail. But the flip side of that is there also was some evidence that that side effect, I me- side effect I mentioned earlier, myocarditis, seemed to be cur- occurring at a higher rate among people who got the Moderna vaccine than the Pfizer vaccine, mm-hmm. which might also be related to the dose level. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a um, it's kind of a delicate balance. It's interesting. Do, do you? Uh, I don't know if you talk about your book. Is is this mRNA going to be able to be used for other stuff? Maybe some of the stuff they wanted to use it for to. You know, it'd be great if they could come with something like this to to cure cancer, sort of thing. I mean, the the hope is that it would have many more uses. Um, it remains to be seen because it's got to go through this long battery of testing for each <laughs> each each individual product. So right now, Moderna has, I think, more than forty different um, additional mRNA drugs and vaccines in its research pipeline. Wow. You know, most of them are in, or a majority of them are in clinical testing. So they're being tested in humans. Um, I think that, um, you know, I think the success of the COVID vaccines, of the mRNA COVID vaccines, um, certainly would suggest that mRNA has potential for vaccines against other respiratory viruses. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe even things like influenza, like improve improve influenza vaccination beyond what we have now, you know, with seasonal mm-hmm. flu uh, shots. Um, then I think, you know, then, then maybe there's a chance that it also works against other types of viruses um, like CMV or even HIV. Moderna is testing an HIV vaccine. Um, but HIV has been a tough nut to crack. You know, yeah. we, have, we have effective treatments for it that they don't cure it, but they make it, they turn it into a chronic condition. But there's been no effective vaccine against HIV. So that would be, that would be something if mRNA could do that. But I think, you know, I think it's just, it's just too hard to say, um, you know, and then, yes, there are diseases that they're using it um that they're testing it as a treatment for, including cancer. And, um, you know, yes, that would be, that would be something too, if, if MRNA could improve the treatment of cancer or at least certain types of cancers. But again, it's just, it's just got to go through all the testing first. And, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, the history of, of pharma development has been, there, there is a lot of hope at first with, a new experimental drug or even an entire drug platform, like a way of making drugs mm-hmm. such as mRNA and things look really good at first, but then there's just unforeseen um, issues that might arise that affect either safety or effectiveness. So we'll, we'll have to see. You know what disease they could, uh, they could help get rid of. What's that? Stupidity. Yeah. I thought I could sense I could sense the setup. You could there. sense the setup there. Thank you for playing along. I appreciate. I it. don't know if they've actually identified, um, you know, the, the the biological basis for stupidity. So I'm not uh, going to code for that in the mRNA. 
According to George Carlin, 50% of people are dumber than average. So so basically, they'd have an unlimited supply at this point. Uh, what, a, what a great sort of thing. Um, and what, a, what I mean, what a crazy time to live through of history. Um, you know, the race to get this vaccine, you know, taking out some of the speed bumps that used to be with the FDA so they can get this to the market. Um, you know, I, I think it's pretty much unprecedented in any time in history where, you you had to like go we really have to outweigh the risks um uh, over the benefit here uh and be in that situation with a gun to the head do you think a lot of these uh the US government learned from did, did anybody really take a hard look at what happened 100 years ago with the um Spanish flu and say we really got to not make sure we do that again well i mean i don't know about that specifically but i mm-hmm. i do think there were efforts um you know, at the CDC and even just among public health experts to to look at past outbreaks and and see if they could learn and and yeah. to almost run like war games and, and drills um, to kind of anticipate some future outbreak and to see if the right steps could be taken. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they've learned. Um, I mean, I think. You know, I, I do think that like what happened in 2020 could could provide a template for ways to get at this in the future. And I mean, you know, you mentioned how how they 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 move so fast, and you know that that the, the year 2020 was just incredible. And um, you know, normally it, it does take something like 10 to 15 years to develop a new drug or a new vaccine, like from, from the very first start of designing it to doing all the lab tests, animal tests, human tests, letting the FDA review all the evidence and decide whether the masses should have it. Um, and they did all that in, you know, 11 months and which I know, which I realized created its own issues in that I think it fed a lot of skepticism, like, well, how do we know they're detecting all the, safety issues on such a compressed um, time frame. But I do think that, um, that you know, the, one, of the, one of the things in the book is, is um, that Moderna, in the, in the years leading up to the pandemic, they did cultivate a relationship with parts of the government, um, including the NIH, including Tony Fauci's Institute, the Infectious mm-hmm. Diseases, to, to, to kind of, um, to see if they could collaborate and, and, you know, have a mutual relationship where the Moderna is benefiting from the expertise of the NIH and the NIH is learning things from Moderna. And, you know, towards the end of 2019, they were actually talking about the idea that they would run this stopwatch drill where mm-hmm. it, it was sort of an exercise in, in pandemic preparedness where, mm-hmm. you know, we, we kept seeing these blowups Ebola, Zika, the original SARS, the the swine flu in 2009, and you know there was just this fear that something bigger was going to come along, and and in each of those past outbreaks, they they would you know various companies or or entities would start to develop a vaccine against whatever there was an outbreak of, but then the outbreak would fade away before they really had time to fully develop the vaccine, or their or the vaccine just didn't really pan out. And so the NIH and Moderna wanted to do this stopwatch drill where the NIH would basically, uh, they would 
they would pick a virus to target, like a known virus that wasn't currently a threat, but, but had the potential to be a threat. And, um, and then say, all right, let's, let's design a vaccine against this. We'll hand over the design Moder to Moderna. They have this new factory in Massachusetts um, that opened in 2018 that specialized in mRNA. Let's see how fast they can make a batch of this vaccine, get it into human testing and see whether it works or not. And then just, and then just say, you know, this thing took whatever, five months or, or more. And, um, but before they could, and they were going to do this virus called Nipah, uh, <clears throat> which, which has been detected in, in outbreaks in, uh, in, in Asia in the past, but, you know, at the time wasn't a big threat. But before they could even really get that exercise off the ground, along comes January 2020, and um, the CEO of Moderna, Stéphane Bancel, who we haven't talked about yet, uh, but is a very interesting character. Mm. He's on vacation in France, and um, he's. But even though he's on vacation, he's up early reading the news, and he sees a report about this mysterious new the new virus in China, and right away he emails. A, a vaccine researcher at the NIH, you know, across the ocean and says, um, hey, wh what do you know about this new virus? Is it is it possible that this virus could be the subject of this stopwatch drill? And yeah. that sort of set in motion this, this very quick collaboration between the two, or I guess I should say an adjustment in this emergent collaboration. And instead of targeting NIPA, Let's let's go with the coronavirus, and so wow. that so that led very early on. Once the once the genetic sequence of the coronavirus became public, researchers from Moderna and from the NIH were able to analyze that sequence and say, within a couple of days, hey, yeah, we think this is the best way to make a vaccine that does all the things I mentioned earlier, like targeting the spike protein, and that's mm -hmm. what really set in motion that that process. Well, this is an amazing, been an amazing time in history, very difficult <laughs> and challenging one for a lot of people. But, you know, thank, thank God, you know, some people were working on this sort of stuff and and we had enough uh, people, you know, doing stuff. But, yeah, documenting the history of, of what what happened in this time and how we got through it, uh, I'm sure we'll be talked about probably 100 years from now. I think so. If we're I mean, still here. <laughs> still here. Right. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, like I mentioned, you know, there's you know, you mentioned the Spanish flu epidemic and, and there were other things like uh there was a swine flu pandemic in the mm. mid seventies where the US decided to like very quickly develop a vaccine against it, but then they were seeing some serious side effects among some service members that it was being tested on at a at a military base. And so that kind of led to a little bit of a fiasco. And so there were, but then on the other hand, then you have the, the, the race for the polio vaccine in the 50s, which turned out to be largely a huge success. And so there were different templates about how to respond. And in 2020, things were moving so fast. And, and, and so people in the government and people at these companies had to really kind of make quick decisions about you know, what to do and, and, and always have in the back of their mind this perhaps uncertainty about, is this going to turn out like polio vaccine effort or is this going to turn out like something that was less successful? And, and I think, you know, and I, I really do try to capture in the book 
that level of urgency and uncertainty that emerged mainly in the spring of 2020. Um, you know, once, once it came here, once it was filling up hospital emergency rooms, um, you know, the, 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 the sense that this, this was real and we, we got to do something about it quickly. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really what, one of the things that I wanted to convey in the book. There you go. It'll make a great movie, man. <laughs> it could. All the, all the players and characters and everything else. Well, uh, it's been wonderful, Pete, to have you on the show. Thank you very much for coming on. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed the discussion. Enjoy your show. There you go. Thank you. Uh, and also, can you give us your .com so people can find you on the interwebs, please? Sure. On Twitter, I can be found at, at Loftus, L-O-F-T-U-S. Um, I also have an author website called PeteLoftus.com and uh, can be found on LinkedIn, on the Wall Street Journal. Um, they, there, there is an author page uh, with more information about me and my articles. There you go. You may have heard of the Wall Street Journal. I've been reading it since I was, I think, 18. Uh, brilliant paper. Uh, it's paper. <laughs> That's how long I've been reading. I remember when it was. Well, <laughs> I, I still call it that, too. Uh, I used to have I it delivered to my house, you know, in the roll, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I'm old. What can I say? Uh, pick it up wherever fine books are sold. But remember, stay out of those, uh, stay out of those dark alleyway uh, bookstores. Only go to the where the fine bookstores are sold because the dark ones, I went in there the other day and I got mugged and needed a tetanus shot. So don't do that. Uh, you want to keep your watches. I'm still missing mine. Uh, fine bookstores, wherever they're sold, The Messenger. Moderna, the vaccine, and the business gamble that changed the world. Something we'll be talking about, I'm sure, for a long time. Uh, how we got through it all. It was the crazy days. Uh, what was the old Chinese curse uh, from uh, Bobby Kennedy quoted once? Uh, may you live in interesting times. And we certainly have and certainly do today. Uh, thanks for tuning in to my audience. So be sure to go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, youtube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, all the places we are in those crazy corners of the internet uh you know go find them wherever these kids are except for snapchat for the most obvious of reasons thanks for tuning in be good to each other stay safe and we'll see you guys next time